The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 22 through 26, and if you think that's a relatively short period of, uh, amount of Scripture, you're right. We'll see how we can do with that. And the title of this evening's Bible study is Seeing Clearly. I want to know if you'd join me in a word of prayer. And so, Father, tonight we thank you for the opportunity. Uh, this is the middle of the week, um, Lord, and so we pray, Lord, for you to meet with us in a very special way tonight. We pray that you would uh, strengthen us, comfort us, that you would help, uh, help us be focused on you, Lord, not, 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 not because we need to, Lord, but we, we need you. We certainly do. And so as we look at this story, a familiar story tonight, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us and minister to us. And I want to pray not only for these uh, students that are getting ready to, to, make a, to achieve a milestone in their life, especially if they're graduating from high school or university or college. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you give them the strength, and, and even more than them getting strength, Lord, their teachers and their parents. We pray that you'd be with them as well. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as a couple of years ago, I took a Sunday uh, second service. I left a little early and went up to Palomar Hospital in Escondido, there was a gentleman there, his name was Tommy, and, and he was getting towards the end. He had, he had been uh, diagnosed with melanoma. Uh, I had been with him at his diagnosis. Um, he, he had asked the doctors if, um, because of my relationship with him as his pastor, you know, that I could be present and, and be considered almost the same as a family member, which I considered quite an honor. Tommy would be the first to tell you that he didn't read very well, and, and sometimes when he was nervous in the presence of a, like a medical professional, that he wouldn't understand with clarity what was being said, and so that explains why I was there. Typically, I would drive. I would meet him right over here uh, on the side of the preschool. He'd get into my, my car, and then we would drive to the doctor appointment or to the, you know, the treatment that he was experiencing, and we would talk on the way down, I could tell he was nervous, he was afraid. Tommy didn't have a lot of friends in life. And, and the fact being known, the reason that I was in his life was because he had, he had worked his way through a number of pastors here on staff. And, and it was one of those uh, afternoons when everybody was gone and he showed up and they said, Danny, you're gonna take over Tommy. And it was probably one of the greatest blessings of my life. Whenever he called me, uh, his uh, number always came up, his no caller ID kind of knew who it was and could decide whether I had the time to, to talk with him or not. And it was a Sunday morning, and we were watching a little bit of football on the monitor. The, the nurses were incredibly kind to Tommy. He could be difficult, especially when he wasn't feeling well, and he wasn't feeling well at all. He was tired. He's older, had a lot of abuse in his life. I won't get into that, but it explains why he didn't have too much patience with people. Remember, the sun was going was uh, coming through the window, and he'd asked me to go over and move the shade over a little bit, just to give you a little bit of idea what Tommy was like. And so I went over, and I moved the shade, and I said, is that good? And by the time I went to sit down, I needed to get up and move it again, because I hadn't done it quite properly. And then, um, so we did that a couple of times, but I was happy to do it, because I know he was sick. And I sat down, he asked me to move the straw in his cup. And I said, you know, Tommy, is he getting a little carried away? Could, could you, you know, could you, yeah, so I moved over. Then he informed me again that I moved it too far, so I had to move it back the other way. And that was Tommy. 
As we were watching the football game, he would doze in and out of sleep. The pain medication was taking the edge off, and, and he would doze in and out, and he'd look over and see me. He didn't need to talk. He wasn't talking very much at that time except to give me commands. And um, he said, I need you to do me a favor. I go, sure. I want you to write a note for Pastor Rick. Now, Pastor Rick had, um, had been given uh, the duty of, of, of approving when care for Tommy would, would, would stop. And so, and so in, in, in a very difficult way, he explained to me what he wanted me to write down. This note would be telling Pastor Rick that I want to die. I'm tired. I want to go home. I wrote it carefully, and, and if you understood, Tommy, you needed to write it exactly the way he would dictate it to you. Even if it didn't make sense to you, this is the way he wanted the letter written, and this is the way you would do it. So I, I finally wrote the letter the way he wanted it. I left it on the, on the counter there. I said, Tommy, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm, I won't see you tomorrow, which was a Monday. It was a holiday. I said, but I'll come back and see you through the course of the week. And then on that Monday, I got a text from Pastor Rick that Tommy had passed. I don't know if you've been there, but it's a bit of a, it's a, it's, it's a, bit of a, a tension. You're, you're, you're happy that the individual is no longer suffering, but you're sad that they've passed, you know, they've passed away. And, and I don't know how many times Tommy had told me in the course of our friendship, our relationship, I'm not quite sure what it was, I, um, but, but he said, you know, Pastor Danny, my temper has gotten me into a lot of trouble over the years. It's cost me a lot of relationships. When will God take my temper away? And that morning that I received that text, I smiled and I said, Tommy, right now, you're more free than you've ever been. And that temper and that devil and that sinful nature and that world that has oppressed you your entire life, it's gone while you're in the presence of Jesus. The weirdest thing happened that afternoon. A phone call came in on my phone. It said, no caller ID. And I said, Tommy, no way. You're not calling me from heaven to complain about the angels up there. And it made me smile. Seeing clearly. What does it mean to see clearly? You know, by way of introduction... I want to reach back into the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 5. You will be familiar with this story. In Naaman's anger, we see man's resistance to how God chooses to heal. And, and, and it could be that, that we, in, in our you know, living life, we, we, we pray for things, we hope for things, and, and yet we realize that everything we pray for and everything we ask for is submitted to the will of God. Through the prophet Elisha, the Syrian commander was instructed to go to the river Jordan and to, and to dip or wash himself seven times to cure his leprosy. And, and you know anything about the Bible, it tells us that leprosy was pretty much a death sentence. Naaman rejected God's plan because to him it didn't make sense. Think about that. God speaks through the prophet, and to him it didn't make sense. And in some ways, the way that God deals with us doesn't make sense. His response was that the rivers of Syria, his land, the place that he came from, were far superior to the lowly Jordan. The Jordan River was not in any way, nor is it today, much more than a, you know, kind of a cloudy, dirty uh, body of 
water streaming through the desert. God's way wasn't logical to Naaman. And God's ways are not always logical to us. Again, they don't make sense. He was offended because Elisha didn't come out to meet him. When he he came all the way from Syria to meet with Elisha, a a servant came out and shared with him what he was to do. And and so this man of high standing, this man of, of, of a great, you know, position was offended. But in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 13, I want you to listen to his servant's advice, where it says, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? Their, their point was that going over to the river and dipping in a couple of times really wasn't a big deal probably because of their love and concern for the commander, Naaman, but also because why not give it a try? What's it going to hurt? See what God will do. I think that could be a motto for a lot of us. To his credit, Naaman humbled himself and followed their counsel. As a matter of fact, verse 14 says that his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. I wonder what it was like as he, as he takes off his garments and he, he goes out into the river, same river that John the Baptist would baptize thousands of people in. And he dips himself once and then twice. And I'm thinking about the number seven, right? Children of Israel go se- uh, around the city of, of Jericho. How many times? Seven times. We think about seven. Such a significant number, seven days in a week. Snow White had seven dwarfs. I mean, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a very powerful number. So he goes down once, he goes down twice, he goes down three times. Muddy water, not crystal clear. He goes down again and again and again. And each time he looks, he sees that his skin still bears leprosy. Except for the seventh time, the seventh time, he comes out of the water And the scripture tells us that his skin was like that of a young child. Sometimes God asks us or tells us to do something and it doesn't make sense. And our great challenge is not to figure it out, but to simply obey. The story also tells us that beyond his healing, that Naaman came to trust in the God of Israel. Verse 15, it says, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel because of his healing. And his healing became because of obedience. And his obedience came in spite of the fact that it didn't make sense to him tonight. And for some of you who are here tonight and some of you who are watching online, God is asking you to do something that doesn't make sense. He may be asking you to forgive somebody that's wronged you. They have hurt you. They have wronged you. And he says, you know what? The best thing for you is not to retaliate, but to forgive them. And we say it doesn't make sense. I don't know about you, but many years ago when I first became a Christian and I read about what Jesus did on the cross for me, I thought this doesn't make sense. I am forgiven because of what he has done. It doesn't make sense. Yet our story tonight will help us see clearly So he renounced all the other false gods of his people. 
We're also told that one of his responsibility was that when the king went into the, the temple, their temple, to not Israel's temple, but the Syrian temple to worship, that Naaman's responsibility was to accompany him. And as the king would come in and bow down, that because um, Naaman was holding his arm, that he too would, it would be a gesture of going down. And so he goes to Elisha and he says, look, he looks, I am not worshiping, but I want to accompany the king. That's my role. That's my position, probably more as a bodyguard than anything else. Is it okay if I do this? And the, and the prophet gives him permission. One more thing on this. So genuine was his conversion that we're told that it was his desire to take land, dirt, on two mules from Israel to Syria so that he could worship the God of Israel. Something that didn't make sense to him so impacted his life because he chose to obey God. Now here's the deal. I've already said it. God doesn't always work the way Danny Ramos thinks he should work, nor does he work the way you think that he should work. Like Naaman, we, st we stumble over our expectations. But it's important to remember that while Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he made his will, his desire, his petition clear when he asked that the cup of suffering would be removed from him. And what did he receive? He received silence from God. There was a change, a transformation when we read that God's will would prevail when, it said, when Jesus said, not my will, not what I will, but what you will. On the screen, you'll see a statement that says, the work of prayer is aligning our will to God's. That is the work of prayer. Something happens when we pray, and sometimes the greatest thing that happens when we pray is we don't necessarily get what we want, how we want it, when we want it, but that our hearts are changed and they're aligned to God's will. Listen to a quote from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. And the quote is found in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. I'll, I'll point out the quote when we get to it. This is a summary of Jesus' ministry. It says, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, those who were oppressed by evil spirits. And he cast the spirits out with a word, and it goes on to say that he healed all, all who were sick. Verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. This is the quote. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So sometimes there's a discussion among Christians. Will God heal? And we say, absolutely. We believe that he will. Why? Because our confidence is rooted in Scripture, but it is, also, it is also established in the fact that we know God's character, and that is He is always good. However, there are times when, like my friend Tommy, we pray, we pray. I think we anointed him so many times that he had to put his seatbelt on when he got in the car so he wouldn't slip right out. We'd have him, we anoint him with oil, we pray the prayer of faith, we claim scriptures, we'd pray over him. He would, you know, we would be looking to see if he, if he changed in any way, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed until he went home. And I think that's the way it's supposed to be. So then God does heal. However, for those who do not experience physical, psychological, or emotional healing, in this life, I believe that healing will be realized in eternity. 
I believe that the atonement from, from Isaiah chapter 53, where it talks about by his stripes we've been healed, I believe that they, they do have uh, application to our lives now, but they ultimately, they ultimately speak to when we will all be delivered from, from whatever uh, malady that we experience. On the screen, you'll see a quote by Sam Storms. Sam is a former pastor of a church in Oklahoma, a former professor at um, a university in Chicago, the name of which I'm forgetting right now, but I'll remember it later tonight when I'm sitting down eating my popcorn. But nevertheless, this is Sam's quote. The question is not whether our bodies receive healing because of the atonement of Christ, but when. Not whether, but when. So then we always pray for folks to be healed. As a matter of fact, after each service, there will be people up here to pray with people, to anoint them with oil, and to pray for them, to listen to them, to walk with them, and to hope with them for healing. We're thankful when they are healing. We'll celebrate that within our church services. And when they're not, we hold on to the promise of a new day. Let me read to you from Revelation 21. You're familiar with this ver- these two verses. John John tells us, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is covenant terminology. Now listen to what God will do in in that day. And this is for you. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things. The former things have passed away. You and I are waiting for this day. You and I are waiting for this moment. You and I pray for this when we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are looking for, we long for, we groan for the former things to pass away. The former things to pass away. Join me with, if you will, in in, in Mark's gospel, beginning in chapter chapter 8 and verse 22. In our passage tonight, I thought it was interesting that Jesus heals again one more time using saliva. Uh, Really interesting. Um, uh, He did so previously in Mark chapter 7. He touches the man twice in what appears to be progressive healing. The answer comes in time. It doesn't come immediately, but it comes in time. It's also important for you to know before I begin reading in verse 22 that Mark's gospel alone records this miracle. Read with me. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him, Jesus, to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And, and he saw everything with clear, clearly. And in verse 26, and we'll be done with that, it says, And he sent him home, saying, Do not, not even enter the village. Mark brings us back to a, sh- a fishing village not far from Capernaum. And we've been here before. The feeding of the 5,000 is, is, a very, is a, not too far away from Bethsaida. It's a fishing village on the northeastern corner of the Galilee. It's a Jewish community. And for several of the apostles, this is a homecoming. In John chapter 1, verses 44 and 45, it says that it's the home of Peter and Andrew and Philip and possibly Nathaniel. 
Peter and Andrew at this point in time live in Capernaum, but they were originally from Bethsaida. That means when they come to town, everybody knows who they are. When they come to town, they're coming home. They're seeing family and friends. And remember, they're fishermen. They feel very comfortable. Previously, when they were in the Decapolis, it was primarily Gentile. It was pagan. But they're coming home where they feel comfortable. Sometimes when we're coming home from northern, you know, northern California, I don't feel like I'm home until I get south of San Clemente. I don't know about you. Orange County's okay. I like Orange County, but they drive a little fast. At least they push on their horns when they're driving behind me, like I'm not moving fast enough. But when I get to San Diego County, especially when you get in Camp Pendleton coming towards Oceanside, you got the Pacific Ocean off to the right, you got the mountains up to the left, you're flying down the five, you're at the speed limit, you know, pretty close anyways, and you just feel like you're home. You ever felt like your home? Jesus and disciples, they've been on the road for months. They've been in Gentile, pagan territory. They had to be careful with it. It's like going to another country and you can't drink from the faucet or brush your teeth. You know what I'm talking about? It's just different. But now they're home. Now they're home. Bethsaida means the house of the fisher. It's a village on the seashore. And obviously, Jesus would have been recognized. He came from the Galilee. He came from this region. And, and what people know for sure is his reputation. He's not like other religious leaders that, that, that hold you at arm's distance. No, he comes to be with the people. He eats with the people. He speaks to the people. He sits down in the presence of the people, and he explains the scriptures. Religious leaders, you would have to come to them. Jesus he was on the reverse. He came to the people. He was, he was with them. He ate with them. And he ministered to them. If the religious leaders did anything, they closed the door for people to come to God. If Jesus did anything, he opened them wide. And he does that tonight. Especially for people who feel alone, people who feel far away, who don't feel good enough. Jesus opens the door wide. But Danny, how can he do that? Because he, he is the way to the Father. He makes the way to the Father for you and for me. In verse 22, it says that these people know of his reputation, so they bring him, a blind man. A blind man. Verse, verse 23, notice with me that Jesus leads this individual, this man, out of the village or away from the crowd. The Lord pivots his manner of ministry, which is typically very public. Jesus preaches publicly. Jesus delivers people from the power of Satan publicly. Jesus heals publicly. He teaches publicly. But for some unusual reason, he is going to deal with this man privately. He's going to deal, and we'll conclude with my ideas to why at the conclusion but I want you to see the difference here. We saw this before. Again, Mark chapter 7, where a man was brought to him who was, who was deaf. That is, he, had, he couldn't hear. But also he had an impediment in his speech. He couldn't speak. And he is the one that Jesus sticks his fingers, likely his index fingers, into his ears. He's looking in the man's face. The man can see him. He has the ability to see. He sticks his fingers in the man's ears. And then Jesus says it, that he spits onto his fingers and he reaches and he touches the man's tongue. 
And some of us are going, oh, Danny, that sounds so, so disgusting, right? But listen, Jesus was meeting the man in his silence and telling the man what he would do for him. Sometimes, sometimes, we don't enter into another person's world, into their weakness. Sometimes, sometimes, maybe we're in a hurry. Maybe we realize that we can't really help them. But listen, Jesus enters into this man's world in order to draw him out, in order to heal him. Which is so interesting to me because when, when the... Centurion came to Jesus and said that his servant was sick. And he expresses this great faith when he says, you know, I'm a man under authority. I have authority. Just say the word and it will be healed. And Jesus was so impressed, saying, I've never seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And he says, at that moment, the man's servant was healed. Jesus didn't need to go and minister to the servant. And yet Jesus takes the time to minister to this man in such a way that the man would be comfortable with his technique. The interaction is personal. I'm going to slow down here, but the interaction is personal. Perhaps because of the technology, and I'm not slamming it. I take advantage of technology. As a matter of fact, when I have an issue with technology, I have my teenage granddaughter there to help me. She can help me through anything. And if she's not available, we have a preschool right over here. My office is right over here. Those preschoolers will fix my phone in a heartbeat with no charge. I tell you that right now. Listen, but Jesus is personal. He enters into your world, into your hurt, into your joy. He enters in because he loves you. He enters in because he loves you, as he does with this man. And he took the man by the hand. He took the man by the hand. Those who brought the man to Jesus turned him over to Jesus, and Jesus reaches out that hand, that hand that would be nailed to a cross, that hand that would write on the floor of the temple with the woman caught in the act of adultery, that hand that would touch a leper, something that would have rendered him unclean, that touches the leper, takes the bread, lifts it up, blesses it and breaks it, that hand. He takes the man by the hand. We can only imagine how important the sense of touch was to this man. We could only imagine how much this man sensed when he felt Jesus' hand take him firm and strong. And the man trusted him. There were times when Tommy would come to my office unannounced, and I wouldn't be there. And he'd set up shop at my desk. You know, he thought it was so cute. He would come in. He had his little ball cap on, his glasses, very thick glasses. And he'd sit at my desk, and he'd have one of the other pastors in the area take a picture. He, he, he was always tickled. He goes, take a picture of me at Pastor Danny's desk. Take a picture. He goes, now text it to him. Text it to him. Let him know. Let him know that I'm sitting at his desk, that I'm taking over his job. He got tickled by that. And so we see this man, meeting, Jesus meeting this man where he was at. Again, when we see that he went with him, I want to remind you, 
I want to remind you that even though we don't understand things in this life that happen to us and to others, we need to take Jesus' hand. He will lead us. He will guide us. He will take us where we need to go. It takes faith, doesn't it? You don't see him. We read the stories in the pages of Scripture that tell us again and again and again, you can trust him, you can trust him, you can trust him. So when he extends his hand to you this evening, the story that we're reading tells us, take his hand. He will not hurt you. He will not abandon you. You will never be alone. Take his hand. Just a couple of thoughts on this. Jesus ministers to you and I personally and privately. Remember, he takes them out of town. He takes them out of the village. He takes them away from the people. He ministers to you personally. Personally. He enters into your world, into your story. He's interested in you. He's not one of those people that just asks you a bunch of questions and they really don't care about you. He's interested in you. But he also ministers to you privately. Personally, he calls us by name. That's what the scriptures say, that he calls his sheep by name and his sheep respond. Privately, he treats you with dignity. He's not someone who you pour your heart out to and then he turns and he shares it with many other people. No, listen, when you pour out your heart to Jesus, the content of what you're sharing with him is safe. He protects it. A counselor would say, our conversation is confidential, meaning that everything that you disclose to me is just between us. Jesus takes what you share with him and he holds it confidently. I want you to see tender ministry here. It's not a show. It's not entertainment. It's ministry. Verse 23. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? So then Jesus now engages the man on several different levels. Saliva sprays into the man's face aimed at his eyes. Jesus is face to face with him. Jesus is very close to him. Jesus' face comes near, he spits, the saliva lands on his face, and it reminds us of creation. When God would, after speaking all of creation, the stars and the planet, the animals, all of the vegetation, the invisible kingdom he has spoken into creation, now he draws near, and with his hands he draws from the dust man. But it's just a body. What does it say? It says that God breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life and he becomes a living soul. Do you see the intimacy there? The tenderness there? He doesn't speak man into existence. He gives himself to man so that man is the image of the invisible God. Christ places his hands on him, secondly, imparting power through touch. Again, intimacy. At times, as we said, Jesus simply spoke and the word and the healing took place. This is different, reminding us to be open to God, healing through various means. I don't know about you, but I'm a creature of habit. I go to the restaurant, I know what I'm going to order. As soon as Wanda and I decide, hey, we're going to Chili's, I know I'm having the margarita chicken. I, I just know it. I don't have to leave and look at a menu. And wherever I'm going to go, I know what I'm going to sit. If I can, I know what I'm going to order. Don't need, really need the menu unless they have some kind of special going on where I could save a couple of bucks. But when we deal with God, listen, 
When we deal with God, be open to him doing things differently than the way you want them to be done. Be open to God working in your life in a way that he's never worked before. You and I, and and I know different personalities and different church backgrounds have different views on this, but you and I would be surprised if we could see how supernatural God is in dealing with us on a regular basis. On a regular basis. I don't know how many times I've been in a prayer meeting and, and I'm waiting for people to stop praying and I'm thinking, well, I need to pray this. And, and all of a sudden, a lady or a man on the other side of the room begins to pray exactly the same thing that I wanted to pray. They quote the same verse. And and what that does to me is it speaks to me, it confirms to me that for once I was on the right page with God. No, just kidding, but but it's encouraging. Or you run into that person that that morning you've prayed for, and coincidentally, coincidentally, you bump into them. These are all expressions of God saying, I want to work in your life different. We're going to pray for that tonight. Tonight, as we worship, as we conclude with worship, be open to the fact that God wants to work in your life differently. As a matter of fact, a little commercial here. We have these piles of communion up here so that if during the communion service you want to take communion, just come up and grab one. Almost done. Hang with me. So then the Lord asked the man, because obviously he could hear, he couldn't see, do you see anything? That is, he was welcoming the man's perspective. But the healing was partial. In verse 24, the man responds. We don't see this, this type of healing in any other portion of Scripture. So the man says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. In that he knew what trees look like means that he had at one point in time in his life been able to see. He was not born blind, and yet his healing is what some would say incomplete. It was progressive. It would take place over time. And some would ask, but why? Why is God doing something different? Why is God, God has healed, Jesus has healed other blind people. Matter of fact, in Jerusalem, after a theological discussion with the disciples, he reaches down, he takes some dirt, he again places some saliva, he makes some mud, pasty, puts it on the man's eyes, he goes, go wash in this pool of Siloam. As the man makes his way to the pool of Siloam, takes the water, splashes it in his face, he's able to see. Why does God work differently? Why does he meet each of us where we're at? And will we give other people the grace to understand that God is working differently in their lives than he is in my life. That your conversion is different than my conversion. That your relationship with God is different than my relationship with God. That you talk to God differently than I talk to God. That God meets each of us where we're at. And maybe we should just celebrate the fact that he meets with us each differently. I'm going to get a little personal here. I wasn't planning on it, but what the heck. I've noticed over the years that not everybody's faith looks like my faith. That not everybody has the same convictions about things that I do. And I need to come to the place where I'm okay with that. Not everybody, and of course, obviously, I work at church, but not everybody has a conviction to, you know, to go as frequently as I probably would go even if I didn't. 
Not everybody prays the way I pray. In some of our prayer meetings, people remain silent. And yet, am I to think that their prayers aren't heard because they pray within their heart? Jesus deals with each one of us differently, and I think that I make a mistake when I want other people's faith to look like my faith rather than celebrating the fact that they have faith. How many times have we been in this room and somebody comes in and they don't worship the way we worship and they leave feeling like they're inferior? Not everybody worships the same. Commercial's over. I speculate when I say that one of the reasons for Jesus' healing in stages is to remind us that God has a purpose in our healing. He has a purpose and a plan. Either from a physical ailment or spiritual weakness, God does save us from pain and suffering. It may be instantaneous, it may be progressive, or as I said initially, it may be as we pass from this life into the next life. God is in control, and we can take his hand out of the village and into eternity. It was a couple of weeks ago, it was a Monday. I think I told you about this already, and I got a call here at the church office that, uh, to come quickly. She's in her last days, dementia. As I arrived at the, at the home, I, I found, you know, walked down the street looking for the address and came into the home the family had gathered. And I remember just coming into the room along with the family, coming into the room where she was laying there, and I remember telling her, even though she was unconscious, I remember telling her over and over again, I go, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Take his hand and go home. Just take his hand and go home. We are all going to, at some point in time, take his hand and go home. There's a verse that pastors know well in James chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. It says, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. James goes on to say in verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. So then in the first church, the early church, elders would have been spiritual leaders who had a relationship with the individual. They would have known the individual. They would have, they would have ministered to them over the course of their lifetime. This is a very close and personal relationship. And so the word would go out, so-and-so is sick. The elders would gather together. They would pray. They would bring anointing oil. Oil is very, very common, probably much more common than it is now. And they would come to the person and they would pray and they would, they would anoint him with oil, I believe, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And then we're told in verse 15 that the prayer of faith would save them. I want you, I want you to think about it this way. The prayer of faith is a request. It's an ask, never a demand. And the prayer of faith is always submitted to the will of God. Remember Gethsemane? That this, might this cup of suffering pass from me? Yet not my, my will be done, but yours. John Bloom, 
This quote should be on the screen, says, when God, gives us, when God gives a gift of healing, it always is intended to glorify Jesus Christ and to point us to believe in his gospel. Verse 25 says, then Jesus laid his hands on him again, again, a second time. Jesus touches the man's eyes. And he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. It's almost as though that this second time, the first time the man opens his eyes, he sees men as trees walking. But when he opens them the second time, Jesus touches them the second time. Jesus does it again, that he opens his eyes and he stares intently at everything that's around him because now he can see clearly. And as you and I walk with Jesus, and as we pray to Jesus, sometimes his will is, the will of God is clouded. We can't see clearly. But as we continue to take his hand and to trust him for whatever it is, in time we begin to see clearer and clearer and clearer. The word restored means to return to its former condition. He saw, he, it speaks of, of the completeness of the miracle. And goes on to say, and he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Now, some people wonder why Jesus took the man out of the village and, and the worship team's going to come out and I'll pray and then we can wrap up in our time together. Bethsaida was one of those communities along with uh, Capernaum that probably saw more of Jesus' miracles and heard more of Jesus' teaching than any other community at that time. As we said, the disciples, for some of them, it was their hometown. And so then Jesus would have been known in their synagogue. Jesus would have known, been known by their religious leaders. And Jesus would have taught truth after truth after truth. And I personally believe that because God was there in the flesh, that these communities had even more of a responsibility to obey and even more of an opportunity to see with clarity. And yet in time, we will see that they rejected Jesus. And it could be that one of the reasons Jesus withdrew the man from the community and one of the reasons he tells him, I'm going to step on this, I know, one of the reasons he tells him don't go back in the community is because they had come to the limit. They had come to the end of the, of, of the grace that was being given to them and that judgment had set in. Don't know that that's true. That's one of, the things that I, one of the things I think about. So Heavenly Father, this evening, we don't want a service to conclude the way it's concluded before. We want to be open to the moving of your Holy Spirit. We want to hear the scriptures tell us that we have an opportunity to see with clarity. That oftentimes within the scripture, the ability to see is equated with understanding, with insight, with knowledge, with wisdom. And so tonight, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that are here as we, as we wrap up with these songs, Lord, we need to see with clarity your will. We need to understand with clarity your purpose, your design, and your power. Father, tonight we ask for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit into our lives as we walk with you, as you take us by the hand and as you lead us. Jesus, tonight we pray for healing. We pray for deliverance. We pray for those who don't know you, that they would see your tenderness, 
that you minister to us personally and privately, that you meet us where we're at, and that you love us. Tonight, Lord, we pray for salvation to come to this house. Tonight, Lord, we pray for healing to come to this house. Tonight, Lord, we pray for deliverance to come to this house at this time. Tonight, Lord, we pray for you to do what you want to do in our hearts and our minds. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.